no matter how successful you are, there's always someone else who's going to make a list or sell more copies than you, or you know, get a fellowship or get a grant or get something that you're not going to get. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Angel D. Zhang was born in Northeast China and raised in China, England, Canada, and the United States. She was educated in the joint BA-MIA program at Columbia University and is a painter and an internationally exhibited fine art photographer. Angel lives in the Secret Garden near Toronto. So please welcome Angel to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. We are going to talk about your journey to publication today, and we're going to start kind of all the way back at the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? I think my case is a little different because those two things happened simultaneously for me. When I was 12, I had a dream. I would characterize it as like a portal story. Um, at this point, it had like going through an archway and surfing down a river of chocolate. It was very juvenile, but so was I. And so I wrote it down and showed it to my teacher who read it and enjoyed it and said that they had a friend who was a publisher who would publish it when I finished the book. And so for me, the concept of writing and publishing was intrinsically tied from the very mm. beginning. But I read far above my age level. So I was reading like Nabokov and Plato and, you know, all these great writers. And so I knew that my effort wasn't that good and I didn't <laughs> want to put that out into the world. So I kept writing and never finishing books until I had a book that I wanted to finish. And that was The Light of Eternal Spring, which came out this spring as my debut. Nice. So how did you learn more about the publishing industry, like how it works, how to query, how to go about it, everything like that? I've been at this for a while. So in the very beginning, I actually borrowed a book from the library that had a listing of agents and publishing houses and sort of a basic primer on how to go about it. And I don't know if you remember those. They will come out okay. once a year and be updated. Yeah. Um, so that was my first introduction to publishing, but I didn't really send anything out for a long time. I had friends who were authors, so I heard from them about their journeys. And a lot of them did the traditional way of querying, which used to be that you would send a letter in the mail with a mm -hmm. reply coupon or like a return envelope that was pre-stamped. And uh, then you would, you know, if you had a full request, ship off a giant manuscript um, to the agent and then, you know, wait months and months. And then in between that and then actually querying myself, I didn't really get caught up on how things had changed very much. Mm -hmm. So I knew the queries were going through emails, but I didn't have the expectation that I think people have as far as timelines and responses. So the first time I queried in 2014, I was ghosted on a couple of full manuscripts. And mm -hmm. I didn't think that was strange because I didn't know that that was strange. And I think that actually helped. And then in 2019, I got into the Pitch Wars mentorship program and I was able to learn a lot about publishing through that. Oh, nice. 
And then what happened? <laughs> Can you break down for us <laughs> your journey from then to signing your book contract? Yes, of course. Um, so before Pitch Wars, I had queried again. And during that period, I had quite a few full requests. And then when I got into Pitch Wars, I put a pause on those and asked the agents to wait. And everyone was very gracious and said that they would be happy to wait until the spring when the manuscript was revised. Pitch Wars came with a online agent showcase and quite a few agents requested my manuscript there. So between those agents and the ones who already had it from prior to the mentorship program, I had quite a lot of agents reading my manuscript and I ended up with several offers. So I feel very fortunate to have been through that and it was a wonderful program and you were a part of it. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. It is time for the first cue of the podcast. Can you read your successful query letter for us? I am seeking representation for my literary novel, The Light of Eternal Spring, complete at 71,000 words. It is comparable to Natalie Tan's Book of Luck and Fortune, and my name is Lucy Barton. The Light of Eternal Spring is a magic realist novel about a photographer who falls into photos and her quest to reconcile with her dead mother. Amy Wu is a Chinese-American photographer living in New York City. She receives a letter that says her estranged mother has died of a broken heart in China. Amy's new photos are all out of focus. People on the street and things beyond the next doorway coalesce. Amy fears she is going blind from grief. Unable to reach her family for details of the funeral, Amy seeks her mother in memories, in stories, in photographs, and a journey home to China. Eternal Spring lies in the tri-border junction of Northeast China, Siberia, and Korea. The village has risen into a town, but her family is still there. Her best friend's sage grandfather, her aunt who is eternally seeking love, her father, the failed artist. Her mother is there too, a whisper on the wind of memory. The artistic ambition that tore Amy from her mother may ultimately be the only thing that can reconcile them and allow Amy to see clearly. I am an internationally exhibited photographer educated in the joint BA-MIA program at Columbia University. Excerpts of this MS have been awarded nine writing grants. I am a Pitch Wars mentee. Thank you for your time and consideration. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. How has your experience been since signing that first contract? Especially let us know if there were any surprises along the way. I've been very fortunate in that I've had a very supportive publishing team. My editor absolutely saw what I was trying to do with the book immediately. And when it came time to edit, she was all about supporting my vision for the book instead of imposing her notion of what she wanted the book to be, which was very important to me. And in fact, that was one of the reasons that I chose the agent that I did, which was that he also understood the story on a very deep level. It's a short novel. It's only 230 pages, but I very consciously structured the book in the shape of a fractal so that there are Manchu stories inside of Chinese stories, inside of Western stories, inside of this story. So despite the brevity of it being 230 pages, there were a lot of ideas presented. And the two key ones that I wanted to get across was one, the story of a mother-daughter relationship and on the other hand, it was very important for me to get across some ideas about what it means to be 
of female artists in our world, about the importance of art to Amy's life and her career choices, and also sometimes the costs and the burdens that artists have to bear, especially women ones. Nice. And also, you had a quite interesting experience. You got to record your own audiobook. So how did that happen? I did. It was actually really exciting. I'm an avid audiobook listener, and I would sometimes just work in the garden and in the course of a day devour one or even two audiobooks if I'm out there from sunrise to sundown in the summertime. So when it came time to do the audiobook, I actually reached out and I asked if I could audition for the audiobook. And it's funny because I think our emails crossed because that day the audiobook producer had emailed my editor to say, I'm reaching out to Angel to discuss the audiobook. And so I was prepared to do like a full audition. I had my sound set up. I had, you know, everything ready to go. But after just speaking with me for a few minutes, she said, you have a lovely voice, you know the material, and you don't speak that much faster than the speed of an audiobook. So I think it'll be easy for you to do it at that speed. And she said, would you like to do it? And I thought about it and I thought, yeah, because there's, there are three languages in the book and I didn't want anyone to mangle the Chinese, which is said with a Northeastern accent. So that in itself would be hard enough, but there are some words of Manchu and very few people in the world speak that language anymore. And I'm not among them, but if someone was going to mutilate that, I would prefer it was me and not someone else. And I think also uh, many years ago, a writer friend has said to me that the best way to edit is to read aloud because the ear catches things that the mind does not. And so by the point that we had a final manuscript and we were going to record the audiobook, I had already read that book out loud probably a dozen times. Mm. And I knew where the commas were. I knew where to breathe. I had written it with a view to how it would sound aloud. So it made sense for me to be the audiobook narrator. But then I had the prep session and my director said, oh, you know, eat lunch about an hour before. So there's no rumbling noises. Don't wear any clothing that has like bling on it, no embellishments, no earrings. And I looked at my wardrobe and everything I have has like tassels or rhinestones <laughs> or like 15 zippers. <laughs> so I, I was like, wow, I'm actually like a country music singer and I had no idea. So in order to wear only natural fibers, I actually rolled into the recording studio at Penguin Random House Canada in my pajamas, which <laughs> I knew for sure was 100% cotton. They thought it was hilarious and it worked out really well. And I got to have some really fun Instagram posts of me in the studio wearing my pajama top and recording my audiobook. It was a great time. That's great. Yeah. All right, it is time for the quick round. I call it Author DNA. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Pantser. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Both. I write the things that are unnecessary and I cut them and in the end I end up with a short book. Okay. Do you tend to write in the morning or at night? Night. When you start a new project, do you typically start with character, plot, or concept first? I start with theme. 
which I know is unusual, but it gives me something to think about without a destination. And then everything evolves from there, which is how it pans. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Tea. When you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Silence. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? I want to be a get it down kind of person, but I'm a get it right kind of person. (laughs) What tools or software do you use to draft? I was using Word for the longest time, but lately I've been using Scrivener. Mm. And it's most useful feature for me. I don't use 90% of the features. But for me, the best thing is being able to drag the scenes around and change their order at Mm. will, which I will sometimes do daily. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? I enjoy both. Do you write in sequential order? Do you hop around? I hop around. And a final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I'm an ambivert. Okay. So now we're going to talk about the second cue of the podcast. On your journey, what were some of the qualms or worries that you had? And do you feel like they were realized or you overcame them? Or how did they shake out? I think my first qualm was that when the book was out in the world, readers wouldn't necessarily get it. Mm. And I'm fortunate and happy to say that so far the response I've had has been tremendously positive. And also people are understanding what I'm trying to say. And that has been enormously rewarding. I'm so glad. And my second qualm is that I had spent years building up a social media following And unfortunately, I did that on Twitter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Twitter imploded right before my book cover reveal. Mm. So I then moved over to Instagram. And I'm happy to say that people on Instagram have been very welcoming and I've made some great friends there. But that was something that I did worry about was that I had spent literal years building friendships and acquaintanceships and relationships. And I was a part of quite a few groups on Twitter, like the 5am Writers Club, and the Writing Challenge of the Month. And all of a sudden, most of the people I knew online were no longer there. So that was a worry for me. But I think it's worked out all right. And the last cue of the podcast, do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? Yes, I think I don't pick a point of view for The Light of Eternal Spring, my debut, I literally wrote it from every point of view at some point. Hmm. So I wrote it first and third, then I wrote it in first, then I wrote some parts of it in second because it had to be done. And that was an insane idea, of course, (laughs) but I'm like the Rasputin writing, you have to commit the sin to know that you shouldn't do it. So... (laughs) (laughs) Then I wrote it back into first, and that felt very comfortable. With my second book also, which is about a writer who sells her soul for a book deal, I also wrote that in, I wrote it in first, then in third, then in first, and now I'm in a mixture of third and a little bit of second, and it's become very meta. So I have (laughs) no idea what it's going to be like ahead of time, and that keeps it interesting for me and hopefully interesting for the reader as well. Hmm. That is very interesting. It is unusual, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? I truly enjoy the act of 
putting words on paper or putting words on a screen. I think there's in publishing long, long periods of silence. Sometimes nothing will happen for. It feels like forever, but for me, the joy I get from writing like a perfect sentence or getting a scene to work that hasn't worked is just is tremendous. And I think I, in my mind, separate writing and publishing, even though. The concept of both occurred to me at the same time when I was twelve. When I write, I try to think of the book as its own thing, and it belongs only to me. And so it can be anything it wants to be, and it can be anything that I want it to be, without thinking about oh, is the market going to be okay with this? Is it weird to have a book that suddenly jumps into second person, for example? <laughs> But I think that. If you're focusing too much on the authoring part and not enough on the writing part, you can end up writing books that other people want, but not books that you want. And for me, writing is first and foremost an artistic pursuit, and so I want to be true to the art before anything else. Along your journey, do you feel like you made any mistakes that you'd like to let listeners know about, so maybe they can avoid the same ones? I think this is a common one, which is that I queried too early the first time. So I queried in 2014, and I got very good feedback from agents who were kind enough to respond. And one in particular gave me like a two-sentence critique that entirely eviscerated the second half of my book, <laughs> but it was so on point. And I thought, this is brilliant. I'm going to. Rewrite it to fix this problem that she has pointed out, but then I didn't do it for another four or five years.、Mm. <laughs> I set it aside. So because I'm also a visual artist, I could take years, literal years off、um, of my writing endeavors and go work on something else. And I think in the back of my mind, the story was still simmering, and I was coming up with ideas and thinking about things that eventually made it into the book, but. I wish that I had maybe before querying the first time had a couple more beta reads, but it's it's difficult because until you've journeyed along the road far enough, it's hard to have a community of people who will give you the right feedback. Because I certainly know people who got sidetracked by wrong feedback and wrote their book in such a way that it completely derailed their career for a year or three at a time. So I think it's important to know what you want out of the feedback. But I wish I had done a little more before I started querying the first time.、Hmm. Yeah, you're right. That is a common one. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication? Eyes on your own paper. Writing is, and publishing especially. No matter how successful you are, there's always someone else who's going to. Make a list, or sell more copies than you, or you know, get a fellowship, or get a grant, or get something that you're not going to get, and they're probably looking at you and all the things you got that they didn't get, and thinking, "Oh, I wish I had those things." So I think it's important to focus on what you want out of the journey, and then also be happy when you get those things instead of just thinking about all the things you didn't get. Yeah, for sure. 
All right. I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. Who are some of the people who helped you along the way and how? Well, I've already mentioned Pitch Wars, so I have to thank Brenda Drake and my mentor, Michelle Hawk, who is lovely, and she is now an agent. So anyone listening to this podcast, Michelle Hawk has great taste. Submit your books to her. She might get mad at me for saying this because I know agents get inundated. And I want to keep this part short, so I'm going to pick three people who are most instrumental. My best friend, Mirav Hoffman, has been reading my work and editing it since I was 13, since I spelled champagne, S-H-A-M-P-A-I-N. Mm. And she has just been, <laughs> she has just been absolutely wonderful. And she's been with me the whole time. And I cannot thank her enough. I adore her. I want to thank my agent, John Michael Darga, who is just the loveliest human being. He is full of goodness and also brilliant at editing and has great business acumen. I'm so glad that every day he is my agent. And my editor, Anne Collins at Penguin Random House Canada, she saw immediately what I was trying to do in the book and asked the best questions to bring out some of the things that were in my head that had never made it to the page. I tend toward less exposition, and in some places there just wasn't anything. So she was able to tease out exactly what I wanted to do, and I think the book is much better for it. Awesome. Can you tell us about what you're working on now? Yes. I am working on my second book, which is about a writer who sells her soul for a book deal. I cannot stress this enough. It is not autobiographical. (laughs) (laughs) Just like my first book was not autobiographical about a photographer who falls into photos and her quest to reconcile with her dead mother. I've gotten that question more often than you might think. Um, So I always say not autobiographical. So I'm actually having just a grand time working on my second book. It's wild. It's fun. It's still magic realist, but it's different enough from my first book that I've set myself some really interesting technical challenges and some different point of view. And there are multiple points of view in sections and I'm just having the best time. And also in the wings, I am cooking in the back of my head on my third book, which is about a painter. And the concept is that the three of them, and actually all of my stories, take part in the same fictional universe. And the first three are connected tighter than the rest of them because they are all about a woman artist. So the first one is about a photographer. The second one is about a writer. And the third one is about a painter. And I do all of these art forms. And I think in part it's about me wanting to investigate how they are different from each other and what the demands of each art form are. And also I want to make a case for women being valued for what our minds can do and not just what our bodies can do. Mm. Because so often, even now in the year 2023, we identify women as someone's mother, someone's daughter, someone's cousin. And 
we don't talk enough, I think, about the choices that we make for ourselves in professional areas. So maybe someone would like to be identified as an artist or a lawyer or a teacher first, or in addition to the other roles that they have in their lives. Awesome. Well, Angel, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you, Sarah. This has been wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Angel's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her book. If you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash Nicholas. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.